Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. We're going to go to Luke 15, and we're going to read verses 11 through 32 straight through. Luke 15, beginning at verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11 through 32. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Write in your note, two sons, because as we go, there's some important things to, to focus on. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. One son asked for the portion, but he divided to them their livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, notice when he talks about his father, initially it's lowercase, but when he starts to talk, rehearse what he's going to say to him, Father, uppercase. Whenever you see uppercase in the scripture, it's talking about Jehovah. It's talking about Adonai. It's talking about Yahweh. It's talking about El Shaddai. It's talking about the one who is over all things. Father, somebody say father. He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, you see the uppercase again? Father, just like he said it in his heart, repentance begins in the heart. And then it comes out of the mouth because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, or look, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, can you see how he's disowning his brother? It's interesting, the other servants who are not related made merry, they were happy, but his brother is saying, this son of yours who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fattest calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. Last verse. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. There's a few things here. Last week I said that we should not last week, the week before. I was at Abundant Life. And by the way, I want to thank those who showed up at Abundant Life. I was pleasantly surprised and blessed to see New Covenant represented uh, in the house. And I'm so grateful to God for those who came. My sincere thanks. But I talked about the week before that, that we should view this as one parable as one parable. If those of you who have your Bible, if you look at Luke 15 and three, you'll see it says, so he spoke this parable to them saying, it's singular, it's not plural. And because we all read so many different translations, I, I looked 
at every translation, and it was singular in every one of them. Sometimes it may call it an allegory. Sometimes it may call it a story. But the one thing that is unchanged, it's singular. So there are three stories that have one message. And the people who were there, remember it was a mixed group. There were the sinners, publicans, and then the Pharisees and scribes. Here's a question to put in your notes. Who was Jesus speaking to? And the second one is, what was their response? We can learn something from the other son. It's interesting that this is called the parable of the lost son, but yet the father had two sons. The parable of the lost son. Now what we see if we follow the pattern of the three, if you, in, in the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep, write in your notes so you can look later, Luke 15 and 7. And the key is to see how does that end? How does that part of the story end? The second key is in the parable of the lost coin, Luke 15 and 10. How does that part of the story end? And then if you look at the parable of the lost son, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but write Luke 15, 31, and 32. You'll see a distinct difference in how it ends, and it'll give you insight into what Jesus was communicating to them and to us to keep us grounded. Isaiah comes to mind, who was already a prophet for at least five years, but when he encountered him, he said, woe is me, because he realizes that he wasn't worthy to be before the king. But we'll see in this text that the king makes us worthy. The king pays the price. In, if you look at Greek or Hebrew, but in Greek, it refers, it's a word called kilor, which is child, not necessarily a male, child. So there are two children. The one who receives redemption is which one? Talk to me. The one who's lost. How do we know that? Because the lost sheep and the lost coin teaches us about redemption. So the one who was lost, who when generally when this story is told, we focus on that one. But I want to focus on the other one because the message is much more profound if we learn what the Lord is trying to tell us with the other son. Because what we know about the lost son is that his father says, this my son was lost, and now he's found. Can you see how that fits with the whole story, with the whole narrative? The one who was lost was found. How do we know that the father redeemed him? Well, when he came back home, and you know he repented, he, he said, 
I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy. But the father didn't even answer. He kissed him. That's what, that's what God is like. It doesn't matter what we've done. He's waiting for us. And what he sees is his love for us. And when we recognize that we're not worthy and we come to him, he'll give a commandment, put on the best robe. The people who Jesus was talking to, what I love about Jesus is he, he, his stories were practical so that they could understand it. That's the power of the gospel. The simplicity of the gospel is what reaches everybody. We've created our own language that only we understand, but Jesus spoke to them in a language that they could understand. And they understood when he said, put on the best robe. Who do you think had the best robe in the house? It was the father himself. He said, I'm gonna clothe you in my righteousness. Jesus was telling them that God, when you come to him, will clothe you in his righteousness. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. What he sees is his child and he put the best robe on him. The best one, it belonged to him. What we're clothed in belongs to God. It's not of us, it's of him. His righteousness is what clothes us. We're worthy to stand before the king because we stand in his righteousness. God put the best robe on your people today. Somebody say, tell your neighbor, I'm wearing the best robe. And then he said, put a ring on his finger. All of them knew that that was, the, was a signal of authority. When you signed a document, all the way back from Pharaoh, that's why Joseph had a ring. He was number two. You put it in this ink thing, you sign it, now it's good. He said, I'm giving you your authority back. I know you've been among the swine, but because you've come back home, I've received you. And the evidence that you are back in full authority is you got a ring on your finger. Put a ring on his finger. It wasn't just for him, but it was to declare for everyone, this my son has been redeemed. He's wearing the best robe. He's no longer smelling like swine. He's no longer dirty. He doesn't have hust on his feet. He has now been redeemed, clothed in righteousness, walking in authority. Is there anybody in here in this room or online who've been clothed in righteousness, who's walking in authority? And even when that happens, there might be people who are close to you, who disown you, but I want you to know it's all right. Your father is pleased with you. He kissed you on the neck. He put the best robe on you. He gave you some authority. Walk in that authority. Who cares what your haters say? Who cares what they think? If your father is pleased, it's well. It's all right. Throw your shoulders back. Hold your head up high. Walk in the spirit and not and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. He loves you. And because you love him, you obey him. We submit ourselves to him. It's time out for cheap grace. 
God, I love you. I fear you. I honor you. You are sovereign. I'm not sovereign over my own life. I don't get to decide. You are Lord. And whatever you lead, I'll follow. Lord, I'm coming back home. I'm coming back home. And when he came to himself, first in his heart, and he confessed it. His father didn't bring none of that stuff up. He began to command them around you. I want you to know, when we come to him, he starts speaking to the angels. He commands them, that's my daughter. That's my son. I need you to surround him. He's got some haters. She's got some haters. Surround him. Don't let anything fall on them. If they dash their foot against a stone, make sure that you shod their feet. I need you to protect them. Because the, the ground they're walking on is hot. It's hot. And then he said, put some shoes on his feet. The people understood that walking in the desert barefoot was perilous. Your feet is hot. Some of the places that we walk, it's hot. It's like walking on hot coals, but he shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Put some shoes on your feet. We got on the best robe. We got on a ring, and our feet are shod. That means your feet are covered. Don't worry about the desert heat. Your father has got you. He's got you. While other folk are judging you, he's saying, I got you. Let them look at that royal robe you're wearing. Let them see the authority that you have. You got the authority. You got authority. Therefore, when you decree a thing, it shall be so. Because you have authority. You have authority. And I've shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're good. So the problem is not with the lost son because he's been found. He's been found. Just like the lost sheep, just like the lost coin, he's been found. And just like in those instances, heaven rejoiced. And there was rejoicing on earth. But as the rejoicing on earth was happening, his brother was angry. Angry. God, I want you to bless me so much and make folk angry. I can take it. I can take it. I can take it. Because they're not... I'll pray for them because they don't know what they're doing. They're not really angry at me, Lord. They're angry because of what you've done. Don't stop doing it just because they're angry. And he didn't. But the son, we can, we can examine his heart because he asked, what's going on? He said, your brother came. They were happy. And he got angry. Why did he get angry? Jealous, huh? But he's an heir. Why would an heir be jealous? Why would an heir be jealous? Well, let's talk about that. I'm glad you asked. First of all, 
when he asked for his inheritance, you saw the text, it said they departed it, he imparted it to them. He divided it to them. And that was the father's way of saying, son, I'm not gonna neglect you. You will get a part of this. But as the firstborn, the rights, you know the rights of the firstborn? They get a double portion. So now I want you to think like a firstborn. So imagine you get a double portion and there's a pie and it's two children and one father. As long as the father is alive, it's three, one portion for each, a third, a third, a third. If the younger son takes his, now there's only two thirds of the pie left. He leaves and he comes back. You gonna give him another portion of the smaller pie? He already had his pie. Why are you gonna give him my pie? He's thinking about himself, not his father. He can accuse his brother of being selfish. He's selfish and he doesn't even know it. He's selfish and he even says, I've never, I've always obeyed. He's telling, and in this story, it's God and his children. And Jesus is talking to the sinners and he's talking to the religious folk, talking to them about what God is like. That's the whole point of the parable. And the ones who, the one who ended up angry was invited but didn't go in. This represents the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus, every story he told, it was about getting us from time to eternity. The people who are reading the Torah every day, the people who could tell you everything Moses ever said or wrote were there with their arms folded. But this other brother felt that he was not getting his just due. He felt that his father owed him something. I want to tell you something that you already know. God doesn't owe me. He doesn't owe you anything. We owe him everything. Perspective matters. And one of the things that honestly is a burden for me, and it ought to be a burden for you, is that the fear of the Lord diminishes with every generation, it seems. There was a time when we feared God. Like, we reverenced being in his presence. We would put our hands over our mouth if, if there was some, something about to come out of our mouth. Today, it's just free. We've, we've kind of gone to a far country and joined with the citizens of that country. That's what culture is like. And so I want to I talk about some personal things from a perspective of a father and the perspective of a son, a firstborn son, so that it's practical. Jesus was a great storyteller. He didn't, he didn't do much expository preaching or teaching, which means you take a text and you give it. There are times when he would do that, but most of the time he told stories that were relatable, but you had to understand, we have to search the scripture to understand what he's saying. About a little over a month ago, our youngest, David, 
was out and it was well dark. Anybody who's been to my house, you know, they're not like a lot of street lights. And it's not a place where you would recommend riding a bike at night. And he went out on trails while it was day, but now the night had fallen and it was like thick darkness. If you didn't have your landscape lights and you put your hand in front of your face, you couldn't see. And my wife, she calls me Bobby. Bobby, David isn't here, go find him. So I go riding around the neighborhood searching for him. He's nowhere. I call his friends where he would be. There's nothing. I text him. He normally will answer my text or call. I call, it goes right to voicemail, right to voicemail. I text him. There's no response. And now I'm getting worried because the hour is growing late. And I'm saying, this is unusual. And so I don't know what to do. My wife and I are talking, we're walking in circles. So I go outside and I look up at the stars and I begin to pray. And with tears in my eyes, because of the love I have for my son, Father, I know that it's your will that I raise this child and that all the days of my life, you will allow me to impart in him. This was your idea. God, don't let us be sorrowful tonight. I pray that you would find, send him home. I began to pray and I had a little peace, but not total peace. So my wife and I talked and we called the cops and the cops came and Deshaun, they were, they were nice. One of them had just had a little child, asked questions and taken notes. I was getting impatient. I'm like, go out and look for him. Why are you asking me questions? You know those red and blue lights? Put those lights on. Put this, get the searchlight. Do something. I don't want, I've already talked to God. I don't want to talk to you. I want you to do something. And so we stayed there and I calmed down and I started to talk to him. I didn't talk to the cop like that. I'm just talking to y'all because it's Sunday morning. <laughs> But that's what I was thinking, do something. And I was worried. And then all of a sudden, I started to talk to him about his newborn. And we started to talk about David and I felt better. God was bringing me. So then finally, while I was there, I texted him. He texted me back. And then I called him and he answered. He said, dad, I'm coming, I'm coming home. And then, I was good. And then probably about 20 or 30 minutes later, and you know how it is when you're anxious or when you are in traffic, you're late and getting later, it feels the time goes slower. It speeds up or it goes slow. It just don't feel right. <laughs> so he finally drives around. His bike has mud all over it. He's dirty. And when I see him, I just, all I do is I'm happy to see him. I didn't raise my voice, I didn't scold him, and he walked by me, he saw the cops, and he walked by me, and he said, Dad, my apologies, that was a bad decision. He, I said, go take a shower and get something to eat. Me and his mother didn't throw that in his face. We were just happy that our son was home. That's the heart of a father. It wasn't about browbeating or punishing him, I think my father would have made me feel something. 
and he wouldn't ask me, do you feel me? <laughs> he would know by the sounds coming out of my mouth that I feel him. But I, I believe that God allowed me to experience that a little over a month ago so that I would understand this text better. What it's like for a father whose son is lost to come home. All you have is gratitude. I just wanted to kiss that boy. I just wanted to hug him. I wanted him to have the best meal. I wanted him not to go on vacation. <laughs> Someday. But I, was, I went from angry, you know all the emotions you feel? To angry, scared, to sorry. And then I finally got to prayerful. Why did it take me that long to get to prayerful? Why did it take the younger son to go through all he went to before he turned back? But the position of the father was consistent. Every moment David was out of my sight, I was concerned and my thoughts were towards him. Every moment we're on a path that God doesn't want us, his thoughts are towards us. And he's waiting, he's looking. He saw his son afar off and he went to him. That's what God is like. And now the firstborn, and then we're gonna hone in more on this, the other one, the angry one. I was the firstborn, there was only two of us, me and my brother. And in 2015, God took him home prematurely. I never thought I would bury that boy. We were close. We were, because it was just us. There were people and things that we know about that nobody else knew. There were things that I could talk to him about that I wouldn't talk to my parents about. It was like, it was when my father died and when my mother died, it was painful. But when he died, a part of me died. I couldn't it was just, it's hard to grapple with. We were pretty close in age. I'm, I'm the firstborn, but only by 22 months. Only by 22 months. But when we were little, he would get a brand new bike. I would get a used, rusty bike. I'm telling you, it's the truth. I'm not complaining. This, as the young people would say, facts. <laughs> I'm just telling you facts. I would be latchkey. He would go to daycare, nice. Seriously, and I would be latchkey in a house where if you push the door this much, Jamal, it would come open. Seriously, it was like we, we didn't have much. And I, I didn't even need a key, I just go to the door, boop, <laughs> pop right open. But it was cool to leave me there, but to him, he had security, he had everything. And I didn't realize that was affecting my heart. And when my mother would talk about her two sons, I have two beautiful sons. They're so handsome, they're so, but she would always say, and my youngest son is so intelligent. He's smart. And I'm in school, I'm on the honor roll. I'm busting it. I'm busting it. He doesn't, he doesn't finish high school, I go to college. I'm like, let me get a grad, and I didn't realize this until now that I'm healed. Let me go to graduate school. Maybe they'll like me then. Maybe they'll recognize. And I felt like, like this older son felt like he was neglected. He said, you did the fatty calf for him. You never did a goat for me. When you ate, he ate at his father's table every day. 
And you know the fatted calf was rare to kill because it was very, very expensive and it was a delicacy. But what it represents in that story is the price that was paid for that son's redemption. I want you to know for your story and my story, it wasn't a fatted calf, it was a lamb. And that lamb was slain, but it's still standing. Think about that, a lamb that was slain but it's standing. He wants you to know that I'm alive forevermore. That's why we rejoice. That's why we rejoice. But this, uh, back to my personal story, it, this happened over the years. And then one day it just came to a head. And I said, how, why is it that I get no attention? Like I'm invisible. It, that's petty now when I look back on it but I understand the emotions of, that, of the firstborn because they feel like I've always been here. You never had to worry. The principal, the vice principal would come to our house for my little brother. He would have classes that I was in and they would say, you're nothing like your brother Robert. He was an excellent student. That made my brother like, I know I'm not him. Stop comparing me to him. So it's only the two of us our love and our bond is tight, but we were at each other. And it happened in the home. Some might call that dysfunction. It, didn't, it felt functional to me. I thought, it was, I thought it was normal because that's all I knew. And I didn't realize that the thoughts of my heart were petty until one day I talked to my mother and through tears I told her, this, this is painful for me. I can't take this anymore. I never measure up. It's like, I just want to know that you're proud of me. I need to know that, that dad cares about what I do, that I also matter. And she said, son, and my mother was a yeller, but she, this day she said in a very, very calm voice, son, I never had to worry about you. She said, the reason I didn't give you attention is because I was never, I knew that if you didn't come in by a certain, that you were all right. You've always been responsible. You've always been the one that I could count on. And I'm thinking, why didn't you tell me that? That's good to know. That's good to know. Why didn't you tell me that like 15 years ago? You could have saved me a lot of heartache. When, when this angry son went to his father, the same thing happened. He said, son, everything I have is yours. You were all, the reason is because you've always been with me. If you would have strayed, I would have given you the same attention. It's not that I love you less, I worry about you less because you're stable. You're stable. I want to speak to someone, if you feel like you are taken for granted, if you feel at times invisible and neglected, it is because you're stable in the eyes of your father. Don't worry about attention. Worry about pleasing him. And when you have that focus, you won't run away. 
you won't get impatient and say, give me what's mine, which means I want to make my own decisions. It wasn't even proper. It wasn't lawful to ask for your inheritance before the father died. He did it anyway. The other son in his righteousness acts like he didn't want it, acted like, but the reason he was angry is because the pie shrank. And now you're going to, now two thirds of a pie becomes whole. And instead of a double portion, I get a double portion of a partial portion. Where is mine? And as a firstborn, I understand that. I'm like, I, what about me? We, get it. we need to grow out of that what about me and focus on him because if we focus on him, we'll be satisfied. We'll be able to handle anything that comes our way because he will sustain us. Now, here is the part about the son, the second son that I don't want you to miss. Every other part of the story ended in redemption and rejoicing. The, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But the son who, who never left his father's side was outside. It ends without repentance. It ends without rejoicing. He was invited in, but he decided, I will not come in. And God said to me, Every time the gospel is preached, people decide not to come in. And listen, the father, you saw the text, the father begged them to come in, begged him to come in. He was his child. He begged him to come in, but he would not. Why would Jesus allow the story to end without him coming in? Write that in your note. What is Jesus trying to teach us by allowing this to end without him coming in? When he established a clear pattern that everything that was lost was found, everything that was lost was redeemed, but the son who was the closest chose not to come in and was outside of the marriage supper of the lamb. That puts the fear of God in me. God, I don't want to be so into myself that I miss your invitation. And just because I'm here all the time doesn't mean that my heart is with him. Because this young, this older son, his heart wasn't with his father. His heart was with his inheritance. I don't want an inheritance more than I want God. The reason I have an inheritance is because of you. God, I want you. But this son didn't recognize that he was putting other things before above the love of his father, and he was telling his father why he deserved better. It wasn't his to give. It was his father's. He should have went to his father with humility rather than saying, I have never transgressed your word. I've never done wrong. I've always been here and you are not doing enough for me. Do you think it could be for you and I 
when God doesn't answer our prayer in the time that we want, that we can have something in our heart, even against God, that causes us to ask questions and to doubt and to now, don't get me wrong, like Hezekiah, there are times that we, it's right for us to turn our face to the wall and say, Lord, I've walked up right before you. If you've done that, you can say that. Because if you haven't, he knows it. But this son didn't say, I've walked up right before you. He said, I've never transgressed. I've done everything you asked. And you're going to take care of this dude who acts like that? Who spent your livings with harlots? There's nothing in the text that says harlots. Prodigal living is wasteful spending. He did away with his money. And here's the thing that he missed that God doesn't want you and me to miss. The possessions weren't where the real value was. The possessions, the value was in the land. And the land didn't change. All that was still there. Why do you think there are wars from the beginning of time to now? It's about land. Some of the people who've amassed the most wealth are people, Jelaine, who buy land when there's nothing on it. And then development comes and some big developer offers you all of this money and it changes the generational fortune. It was the land. The land didn't change. He took, he gathered his possessions, but the son was even focused on that. Sometimes we focus on things that don't matter and we make that the main thing and we miss. If I was Bishop Granham, I would say we major in the minor. We want to keep, we want to keep our eyes and our heart towards him. Our heart towards him. And that's what this whole story of repentance was about. Is don't get so secure in yourself that the one who's able to clothe you in righteousness the one who's able to give you authority, the one who's able to give you an inheritance. Don't put the inheritance above him. The relationship with him is the most important. And sometimes we can get a little bit jaded. So who was Jesus talking to? Who was he talking to? Who was represented better in this? When you do your homework, in Matthew 18 and 9, he even talks more clearly about the one who's justified. And we're in a season where he's equipping his people because when we are right, we can make the world right. There's some big challenges that we need to face and God wants us to face it together. And as we do that, and as we humble ourselves to him, we can turn the world upside down. The world is perverted. The world is perverted. It's like everywhere I look, there is promotion of darkness. There's something else. If you go to the movie every now and then, I want you to go see Black Adam. But I want you to do it with your spiritual eyes. My wife and I went to see, and then we talked about it. And it's like we had a Bible study about what it was promoting. And this is the kind of thing that people go into unaware 
and they don't know what's being deposited in them. That's why I want people who can see to go in. And then we'll be relevant to the world like Jesus was. Jesus was aware of everything that went on around him. Sinners. But what he wanted to do was to get them out of darkness and into the light. If you can't discern the darkness, how are you going to lead them to the light? And one of the things that is about this movie, it makes darkness more powerful than light. There's one of the characters who's defeated. You have to look. I'm going to give you a clue like I'm doing in the scripture. One of them right here on this side of their face is a cross etched in. But that person ends up being too weak to overcome. What's the subtle message that they're communicating? The person who ends up with power, you know where the power comes from literally? From hell. It's the boldness of where these, these stories are being told are from years of erosion, chipping away, chipping away. I started to tell you a story some time ago and then my time is gone. And I, I realized after that I got carried away and I didn't about a dear friend of mine. His name was Elder McKenzie. And uh, he was a good man. He was uh, working one day and the place where he worked went up in flames. I literally was watching it on the local news. And he, his boss wasn't there. He went back in to get his boss. He went back to go get people. And then the last time he came out, the chemicals were on him and he was on fire and, and we lost him. But his, I'm saying that to remind you because I know you remember that connection. If, if I tell you that story, that's not gonna leave your mind. But he was telling me a story about his uncle in South Carolina who would every day go out and lean on the post of his neighbor. Like these were the days when nobody locked their doors in the good old South. And this is what divided the land. And after they would have their talk, he would move the post a little bit. Then come back, and every day they did it. It was like a normal thing, and the guy couldn't wait to come and talk to him. He said, in 10 years, my uncle took all that man's land, all gone. What the devil is doing in this generation is moving the post. And we have to say, this, that's it. We're taking our territory back. You've, you've had enough. Your time is out. The people of God, we got on our robe now. We got on a ring. We got authority. Our feet are shod. Devil, we're coming for you. You No longer are you going to put all this stuff in our children that pervert the truth. Devil, we're coming for you. No longer will you have darkness be light and bitter sweet and crooked straight. Devil, we're coming for you. What God wants us to take away is that we are the ones who are wearing the best robes. In Revelations, it says we have on a white robe and it's not spotted. And repentance takes care of the spots. And we with one another, we pull one another out of the fire, Jews said. Why? Hating the garment that is spotted. We're going to be so connected to God and to one another that when we open our mouth, 
the world will know that there's authority, that they're different. You know, when Jesus would speak, Elder Ardelia, they would say, he teaches like nobody else. He's different. And you know what they said? We have never heard anyone teach with that kind of authority. We're going to move the post back. It got moved from here to here, and it's not going to be little by little. God is saying, I'm preparing my people, and I'm going to take the post. I'm going to put it right back. It's going to happen quickly. Somebody say, suddenly. Suddenly, we're going to take back that ground. We're going to take back that ground. Everything the devil has stolen, Philadelphia is going to be like zigzag. When David said, Lord, should I recover all? He said, go up against them. You shall recover all. I want to speak to somebody today. It's your time for recovery. You shall recover all. Don't give up. This is a time for recovery. If you're sick in your body, you shall recover. If financially you're experiencing the recession, you shall recover all. This is a day of recovery. Put on your robe. Put on your robe. Come on. You ought to look at your ring. Look at what's on your feet. God is saying this is a new day. This is a new day. I want to say while you're standing, would you lift your hands? And today we're going to declare some things prophetically. The Lord is saying, this is a season for things to turn around. You know repentance is what? Turning around. God said he didn't send this message to impact our sin consciousness. He sent it to transform our lives and so that together we can transform the world. We live in a crooked and perverse generation. But God said the time has come that I'm going to make the crooked places straight. I know there's some places that are rough, but I'm going to make them smooth. I know there's some mountains that are before you. Every mountain that is exalted, I'm about to make low. And he said, some of you are in some deep valleys. He said, I'm going to exalt every valley. I'm going to make every mountain low. And the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. And all flesh, because of your obedience, because of your willingness to turn around and to follow me as I direct you, all flesh shall see my glory. It's time to release my glory. The devil has had his time to infect the minds and hearts of people long enough. But God is saying, I'm the purifier of hearts. I search the hearts. And today is the beginning of a turning around around those things that plagued you no more if, if, if you can hear a prophetic unction you ought to turn around you ought to turn around he's turning it around he's turning some things around 
He's turning some things around. He's turning it around. I hear the Spirit of God saying, for some of you, you've been tied up so tight that for you, I'm going to turn it around and around and around and around until you are unraveled. I'm unraveling you. He said, I'm the one who loose Lazarus from his grave clothes. I'm turning you around. You are not to, you're not meant to be a mummy. Living waters are going to flow from your belly again. I'm going to turn it around and around and around and you won't get dizzy because it's the Lord your God who's turning it around. This is a moment, this is a season of turning around. I promise you, in the presence of God, before whom I stand and whom I serve, what I just said was not in my notes. It was not premeditated. It was in this moment that God told me to tell you that. I am not the one who delivered that message. I'm just the messenger. It's God who works in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So he told me to tell you to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in him shall never be in vain. Somebody give God a praise for turning things around. Somebody give God a praise for straightening out the crooked places in your life. Somebody give God a praise. Come on, come on. Take a moment and give him glory. He deserves the glory. He deserves the honor. I believe God. I believe God. Somebody join your faith with mine and say, I believe God. I believe God. Here's what the Bible says, and then we're going to dismiss. Here's what the Bible says. I believe, God, that it shall be just as it was spoken to me. See, one of the things about a prophetic word is always confirmed in the word. And I wouldn't ask you to utter anything that wasn't him, his word. So the last thing, just say, I believe God, and it shall be just as it was spoken to me. Come on, give him praise, and you might be seated. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.